Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. You may all be seated. How good is it that Arsenal Gunners are where they belong? Isn't that right? Come on, you can clap that. Some people are like, I ain't clapping that. They're where they belong, on top, nine points. Bless the Lord, it's so good. I mean, Gunners, it just sounds biblical. It sounds godly. It sounds like something that you could get behind, right? Maybe not. Okay, well, anyways, jump straight into uh, my preach for the night. I've entitled tonight's message, Are You Resting in the Palace or Fighting for What's Yours? Are you resting in the palace or fighting for what's yours? I want to start with a story. I heard a fantastic story uh, yesterday, in fact. Uh, and I thought, you know what? God is good <laughs> providing my opening illustration for me. <laughs> it was just beautiful. So here it is. You may not know the name Gabby Leibovich, but you've almost certainly heard of his work. The 52-year-old is one of Australia's great rags-to-riches tales, starting out in a garage alongside his brother and going on to build brands like catch.com.au, Scoopon, and Menulog, which have sold now for a combined total of over $1 billion. As you'd imagine, Leibovich is in demand as a speaker, there's one story he tells weekly that takes place not in a boardroom, but on a football pitch. This month, the founder of some of the nation's most recognizable brands celebrated 20 years since he and his wife Amanda got married in the center of Marvel Stadium, then the Telstra Dome, at halftime in Leeds United's friendly against Chilean side Colo Colo. Incredibly, it all started with an email and a little white lie. People may know me now as Gabby from Catch or Menu Log or so on, but back in 2002, I was just a guy working in an electronic store selling televisions, microwaves, and cameras. I sent an email to the organizers and I said, hi, I'm Gabby. I'm a Leeds supporter. I'm not, I'm a Liverpool supporter. That's the little white lie. And my dream is to get married on a soccer field. Why don't you organize me a wedding at half time? It's one of those questions that you send through. You don't expect anyone to open the email, nor do you expect them to reply to you. But to my surprise, they did reply a couple of weeks later, hey, we are interested. Let's talk and let's do it. We got married on the grass in front of about 24,000 people. I was wearing a Leeds shirt that was signed by the whole team during training the day earlier. My wife was wearing a wedding dress. It was a bit of an interesting wedding. It was officiated by some guy that I found online and I paid him $100 for it. <laughs> but apart from that, the whole thing cost me absolutely nothing. They did not charge me a thing. We had about 70 family and friends joining and honestly, it was the best day of my life. All his life, Leibovich has held an undying passion for football. Growing up in Israel, he considered himself a good neighborhood player before immigrating to Australia and continuing to play indoor soccer until age 40, when his body caught up with him. He has attended the last three World Cups and has tickets to this year's 
edition in Qatar, while he religiously attends showpiece friendlies down under, from Juventus to Barcelona, and the visit of Manchester United, Alston Villa, Crystal Palace, and Leeds last month. Back in 2002, he was just spectating. He wasn't a part of the action. In fact, Leibovich even went as far as asking Roy Fowler, his Liverpool idol who was now playing for Leeds, to be his best man, only to be stitched up by Robbie Keane and denied by Terry Venables. Around the 20th minute of the game, I was on the sidelines with my wedding photographer and my wife, and suddenly I see the substitutes, which included Robbie Fowler, Robbie Keane, and a bunch of others warming up, and I was dressed in the Leeds uniform. So I tell my photographer, hey, mate, follow me. I start walking on the grass with my wife as if I'm one of the players. None of the security guards stop me because I'm full of arrogance and I'm wearing a Leeds kit. I walk all the way to the middle of the ground and I go to the guys and I say, Robbie, Fowler, I need you to be my best man. Then Robbie Keane says, he'll do it if you'll do 20 push-ups. So I do a really bad 20 push-ups, bread and butter. Hey, hey, Andrico, hey, Jack. (laughs) Oh, man. That was the worst gym sesh ever. Then Robbie Keane sits on my back, and all of that was in the middle of the game in front of 20,000 people or so. He added, I remember during the ceremony, I grabbed the microphone and I could see the Leeds United team playing in the background. And then I went, Robbie Fowler, who was my hero from Liverpool, Robbie, I want you to be my best man. Robbie, please. But they had just gotten a new coach that was Terry Venable's first game. And unfortunately, Terry did not give him permission to be my best man. Do you guys want to see a picture of their wedding? Let's throw that one up on the, the screen. There it is. Look at that, how cute. I bet she was happy he had a billion dollars coming. (laughs) Yes, it's so beautiful. (laughs) You think about this, for most people, life would have peaked that day. However, Leibovitch is not most people. Going on to launch, catch of the day with Brother Hezzy only four years later, a company which they eventually sold to West Farmers in 2019 for $230 million. In 2012, they launched a business called Eat Now, which ended up merging with Menulog and ultimately sold for over $800 million. It's been some crazy story for that soccer lover, he jokes. Asked about how his love of football has influenced his career, Leibovitch explained, when I tell the story of my wedding, there's actually a business message here. It's to take risk. Sometimes in life, all you have to do is ask because when it came to the production of that wedding, I just asked, and I didn't expect anything to happen. A lot of people in business are too afraid to make that move and ask the question because they're afraid to get a no. But that's the worst that can happen, a no. You may not get an answer, or you may get a no, but imagine what happens if you do get a yes and where it can actually take you. He closed his interview with this statement. So don't be afraid to ask. Go for it. And good things will happen. Sounds like scripture, doesn't it? What an incredible story. I certainly don't condone lying. And this message is not about starting businesses, although that is one thing that I hope might inspire some people in this room tonight. 
This is my thought. Too many are burying their talents under the stronghold of some form of fear or some other weed or thorn that is choking out its potential. You and I must be faithful stewards of what God has given us, of what God has blessed us with, and we must produce much fruit, multiplying what God has given us. We have not been called to build our kingdom. We've not been told to rest in our blessings. Unless we take hold of the promises and the victory of Jesus and put it into action, we will never fully realize what we can. Jesus inspired us that we don't need to fear. We don't need to worry. Jesus made only truthful statements. So tonight I wanna remind you, you don't need to fear and you don't need to worry. We are more than conquerors. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are the children of the King. We are royalty, ambassadors, the head and not the tail. Are you more than a conqueror? Are you living in abundance? Are you multiplying your talents? What mission in life are you living for? Let me read from 1 John 5, verses 13 to 15. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us, when we make our requests, we also know that he, he will give us what we ask for. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, tonight I pray that your word would unlock us. God, that things that are holding us back would fall to the wayside. Lord, that freedom would flow tonight. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would build upon what you started last week with Pastor Brad. Lord, that fear would no longer cripple us. Lord, that the things that intimidate us, Lord, the things that are choking out your blessings, Lord, the things that are robbing us of what you have died to give us. Lord, I pray tonight that we would be set free from those things. Lord, that we would be who you've called us to be. Lord, that we would do what you have called us to do, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Church, what stops you from achieving what you've been called to do and from being who you've being called to be? Do you have a faith inhibitor? Is there stump, something that stumps your faith? That when you go to pray, you pray, but you struggle to believe? Or is there something that is of your flesh, a flesh fault that maybe is winning over your spirit? I wanna jump into a passage of scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 11 tonight. It's a story of King David and Bathsheba. It's a powerful moment in his story. It's a pivotal moment. It should have been at war. And in this moment, all went wrong because he was found resting in the palace. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse one to five says this. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army 
and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. She then returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. What a naughty boy. Wow. Should have read Proverbs. Number one, he is meant to be at war. The war was there whether he was fighting it or not. You cannot rely on others to do the fighting for you. Number two, from a place of rest, his flesh had grown. The fight, I can encourage you tonight, maintains your spirit. Number three, looking over the city, he was taking ownership over what was not his. God's blessings are not our possessions. Number four, the result was not a blessing from God. When we are not doing what we should be doing, distractions and disillusionments cause consequences that were not meant to be in our life, things that we were not designed to endure. David's life became riddled with issues because of his struggles. Our story ends best when lived out God's way. Have a think about this. Peter would never have walked on water if he didn't get out of the boat. You'll never see something happen if you don't pray and believe. Introducing someone to Jesus is the, grading, is the greatest calling of the chosen. You and I have been saved and we've been chosen of, and we've been called. It's who we are. You and I, sons and daughters of the King of all kings, ambassadors of heaven, children of God, called, chosen. Esther, when confronted with an issue, decides that she's going to save her people. Makes a powerful, powerful decision. If I must die, I must die. What a statement to speak out. If I must die, I must die. You think about the people around you and the persecution that might come at you if you step out. If I must die, I must die. A woman who is in a situation that was very dire, a situation that was very different to what you and I are confronted with. No matter the cost, if I must die, I must die. 
Think about the examples in Acts of the disciples having sold out to Jesus at No matter the cost, they would continue to preach the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, full well knowing that they were under great opposition, most of them persecuted to the point of death. But it drove them because they were driven, because they truly believed in the message of the gospel. They truly believed that the people around them, that Jesus hung on that cross for them. They truly believed, if I must die, I must die. It is worth the risk. The Bible says there is no greater love than for one to lay down his life for his friends. In another moment in history, there's a guy called Abraham and these naughty kings got together and banded together and came and attacked a whole bunch of towns, including Sodom and Gomorrah where his cousin Lot was living. The story goes that they, they took off with everything, all the wealth and all the women, all the possessions, all the people. So Abraham goes and grabs his 318 highly trained army men who were born into his family and makes a decision in that moment that he's gonna take back what the enemy has stolen. That he's not going to give in to the circumstance. He's going to put his own life at risk for his cousin. And he goes, it says, and he surrounds the town and at night divides his men and goes in and conquers and gets it all back, chasing them into other towns way far away toward Damascus, the story goes, gets it all. All the possessions, all the women, and all of those that were taken captive. Taking back what the enemy has stolen is something you can do. Not being crippled, by the issue, but rather stern enough to do something about it. Can I remind you, the Bible says, the greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Another moment in history, in Joshua's life, he comes to this town called Jericho. And God told him to do something quite unusual. This time, God wasn't going to perform a great miracle of of, uh, army defeat. And it wasn't going to be by the sword that they were going to see a victory happen, but by a shout, by yelling at walls that had never been penetrated. (laughs) Joshua has a decision to make in this moment. Does he allow thoughts of, I'm gonna look like a fool, (laughs) if I tell my people to shout at this wall, to walk around a city and shout at walls, that's foolish. I'm gonna look like a fool. What sort of leader will they think I am? Imagine if he didn't follow through with what God had called him to do. Imagine if he tried to do it another way. I wonder if it had have turned out with the same result. I wonder if people might have been lost on Joshua's side. But Joshua decides in that moment to look the fool, to risk it, to step out, to speak what God had told him to speak. And he speaks out and he tells his nation, we're gonna walk around this city. And then the last time we do it, we're gonna walk around after seven days, we're gonna walk around it seven times, we're gonna yell at the wall and watch God cause that wall to crumble down. I mean, 
day two, day three, get to the last day multiple times. Can you imagine walking around a city looking at walls, like defended walls, high, tall, thick walls, most likely made out of some form of stone and mortar. The doubt, the voice of the enemy, the issue of the flesh. Yet Joshua chose to speak out and to declare and to proclaim what God had told him to say and they shouted and great victory was brought to the Israelite nation that day. The Bible tells us to be hearers of the word and doers. Book of James, be hearers of the word and doers. The word is alive, it's active. Is it active in your story? Is scripture active in your story? It's not just food for the soul. It's also the weapon of our warfare. Declaring the word of God in your life and proclaiming it to those around you literally has the ability to pull down walls. It literally has the ability to affect the atmosphere around you. You can speak out the word of God and see not just spiritual walls come down in your life, but also physical walls. Spiritual barriers and physical barriers, spiritual issues and physical issues can be broken when you speak out the truth of the word of God. Jesus spoke to the demon and cast it out. The physical effect was sanity and freedom and control. Jesus spoke to the fig tree and cursed it. And the next time the disciples saw it, it was dead. Jesus spoke to dead men, Lazarus, and he was raised to life. He spoke to the dead boy and he was raised to life. He spoke to the dead girl and she was raised to life. He spoke to the disciples and they gave him their lives. When you speak out the word of God, you have the ability to see something happen. He spoke to the wind, waves, and the storm, and it came into submission and peace, came in to the story. What situation do you need to speak to? What are you currently speaking into that situation? Husband, wife, boss, brother, sister, friend, oneself. What is holding you back? We have life options. There's two. Heaven or hell. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26. He spoke to his disciples and said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Do you feel like you're in a war? Because if you don't feel like it, you are. Whether you want to believe it or not, whether you like that or not, you are in a war right now. There is a war being waged. There is a war between your flesh and your spirit. 
I'm sure you would know about that one. There is also a war being waged between darkness and light. There is a war being waged with the flesh of humanity in the spirit realm. There is a war being waged by Satan and the third of the little angels, the naughty ones that harm us and do wrong to us and try to do the bidding of Satan. There's a third of them and Satan who are waging war against God and the other two thirds that are there to protect us, look after us, bring us messengers and do what God has asked them to do. There is a war being waged whether you like it or not. We have to engage. I read a book last year by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Hands up if you've read it. Awesome. It is a fantastic book. Wow. When I read that book, I got so angry. I got so angry at myself for what I allow to happen in my life. I got so frustrated and disappointed in myself for what I allow the enemy to do to my thought process. I got so angry at the enemy for what he does to my story. I got so angry. I was so annoyed because I was, I was so sucked in so often. And sometimes when the, when the light of Christ comes and just wakes me up to what's really going on in a moment, I just get so angry again, so frustrated at the real issue. Not the flesh and blood before me, but the principality and the power, the, the ruler of darkness that's coming against me. How can I let him do this to me? I say it all the time. How can I give in? Gosh, church, he has not done anything for you. He did not die on the cross. He did not do one thing to deserve what God has given unto you. I've got a couple of quotes from the book. If you don't know the book, let me explain it. It's letters being written between a, an uncle demon and a nephew demon. Uh, a demon that's had lots of practice and a little demon. It's just poetic license, but it puts so much of life into perspective. Here's the first one. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. The enemy in the story is God because he's the enemy of Satan. Remember, it's two demons conversing through letters. He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. If you can once get him to the point of thinking, so this particular time in this demon's journey, he was tasked with attacking a particular man. And his uncle said, if you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. That's the name of the little nephew demon. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. 
indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Church, be reminded tonight that there is an enemy. You have a real enemy who hates you, and he is the devil, and the devil is a liar. He's so cunning, he's so evil. He creeps in. Can I encourage you tonight, don't allow him to creep in. Fight, fight that fight. Fight the good fight. Fight for what God has called you to do. Fight for who God has called you to be. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your family. Fight for your friends. Fight the real enemy. Do not fight humans around you. Fight the real enemy of your soul and their soul because there is a war being waged whether we like it or not. We have to engage. James 4, 2 to 3 says this, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. We should be fighting the real fight. King David had issues come into his life because he started to rest in his purpose and he started to allow his purpose to become his possession. He took hold of what God had given him to do and to be and started to claim it as an owner. He became the king. But I wanna ask you tonight, who is king in your story? Is it Jesus? Rest is good, but it's not the goal. It is to the world, but then they don't care about looking at naked ladies bathing. And they don't care about sleeping around. And they don't care about taking what is others. And they don't care about hiding the evidence. Are you resting in the palace or are you fighting for what's yours? Because what you've been given is glorious. What you've been called into is marvellous. What you have been saved from because of Jesus' life, because of his love, the road to eternal life. It's narrow and difficult, Jesus said. It's not easy. There is a fight. There is a war. There's a war for our soul. There's a war for our destiny. There's a war being waged for all humanity. And Jesus has asked us to proclaim the good news and to declare his way to freedom, to make disciples of all the nations. That is your calling. That is what you have been chosen to do. Why? What's the reason? Because the only alternative to heaven is hell. The Bible gives us a little picture of what hell might be like. It gives us a few little glimpses into what it could be. I was reading this incredible verse in Revelation this week to try to understand what hell would be like. It just made me not want to go there all the more. <laughs> Alone and weeping and gnashing of teeth and regret. Church, don't let fear hold you back. Fear in its root meaning is timidity, which means cowardice. It's never used in a good sense. Don't let the weeds of life choke your story. 
You have been called to marvelous things. You have been called to do marvelous things. Because in the marvelous light, darkness cannot remain. In the marvelous light that you have been called into, darkness has no place. It's pure freedom. It's the ability to achieve what God has called you to achieve. I want to get even more practical with you as I bring this to a close. Faith with no action is useless. It's not good for anyone. It's not even good for you. To have belief is not enough. The Bible says even the demons believe and tremble. They are not saved. Are you multiplying your talent? Are you fighting for your king? Or are you resting in your issues? God has called us not just to be followers. He's called us to be the church. We are not the church on Sunday. We are the church on Monday. We are the bride of Christ. This is the place where we come ready to encourage one another, to spur each other on coming having already thought of who's going to be there. That's what Hebrews tells us to do at church. He doesn't say to go and to get, it says to, before you go, think of what you can, you can say to someone else to encourage them and to spur them on in love and good acts. That's the purpose of the gathering, Hebrews chapter 10. And then when we get here, we're supposed to do that, to encourage one another. And spur each other on. It's not up to the preacher, it's up to the church. The church is called to be the church on Monday. That's where the work happens. This is the time to lean in. This is the time to bring your loved ones. This is the time to see your people saved. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, this is the time to have one. He is the only way to eternal life. If you are not doing what God has asked you to do, then it is time to do what God has asked you to do. As the Holy Spirit spoke to us all before through Hendrico, it's time to repent. It's time to come back and to, to give our burdens to the one who can carry them, but to take on the burden that is light and easy, to engage with what God has called us to do, to lean into the calling on our life, to do what God has asked us to do. Now is the time to do what Jesus has asked you to do. With just one soul saved, you get to experience darkness being changed into light. There's 200 people here tonight. With just one soul saved, by next week, we can see 400 people in this room. It's not hard. It's not difficult. We ask, we step out, let God do the rest. The Holy Spirit's the convictor, not you and I. With just the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus said, you can see extraordinary things achieved. Maybe there's something that's within you, something that you know God wants to birth. Can I encourage you, it takes the faith of a mustard seed to see it happen. Just step out. See what happens. What's the worst that could happen? Run some scenarios of what, what could be worst case scenario. A knockback, a no, 
some rejection, some foolish looking behavior. What, what's the worst that could happen? Is it, is, it, is it worse than hell? And if it's not, then can I encourage you tonight to consider giving it a go. Consider speaking it out at no matter the cost. Consider yourself, if I must die, I must die. Consider what's going on in the moment and decide is it worse than the ultimate result. If you are a child of God, then you are the sons and daughters of the King of all kings. You have all you need. You can take that step of faith. Tonight, you can decide tonight, I'm going to start to live differently. I'm going to start to make decisions based on who I am in God. Come on, that person won't preach to themselves. That argument won't be forgiven by itself. That relationship won't start without you initiating it. That miracle won't come until you speak it out and believe. That business won't start itself. That movement won't build groundswell if you don't provide it the platform it needs to germinate. Come on, you and I have been given all that we need to do what God has asked us to do and to be who Jesus left us to be. It is time for us to take hold of the fullness of the authority of Jesus Christ and start to truly proclaim and declare it out to the world around us. Proclaiming is about outward. It's about proclaiming the goodness of God, proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming the message of Jesus. What you are representing is Jesus. Be reminded, it is Jesus. Who is Jesus? That's what you are proclaiming. That's a good thing to proclaim. There is nothing about Jesus that someone won't like when they get to know Him. What you declare is what you can pull into existence for yourself, for situations around you, the truth of the Word of God. You can declare it into a situation and you can literally see something happen, not just spiritually, but physically as well. Can I get the band to come back up? Church, what is holding you back from achieving what God has asked you to do or who He has called you to be. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Time is ticking and you can't undo it. So I encourage you tonight, if there is something that is being birthed within you, now is the time. Now is the time. Share it. Share it with someone else in this room, someone who is a brother or sister so that they can champion your idea, so that they can champion you. Because can I remind you, we know how the story ends. Come on. Come on, think about that. We know how the story ends. We do not have to give in to fear and we do not have to worry. You and I know how the story ends. Jesus wins. You and I, we get heaven. We get eternal life. We get crowns. We get goodness. We get a wedding feast. We get eternal life. We get stuff to do forever with loved ones. It's a good ending. It's a good story. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. If there is something that is crippling you, sometimes the best thing to do is to do the very thing that it is trying to tell you not to do. 
Sometimes when I pray for people to, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and I can, I can see that they've got it, but they're struggling to let it out and then they get it and it flows. I always then encourage them that the enemy's probably gonna come and tell them that they didn't get it, you're making it up or you've lost it or no, you don't have it anymore because you did that. Why would he do that? Because he knows what it can do for you. So I always tell them, do the very thing that he's trying to tell you not to do, pray in tongues. Do the very thing that is causing you to worry or to have fear. Step out, take a step, risk it, deal with the fear. Tonight decide and look it in the face and say, devil, not today, no more devil. Tell your flesh tonight, flesh, submit to the will of God. Pray that prayer. Father, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, fight the fear by the revelation. The best life is the blessed life. There is no better version to your story than with Jesus in it. The only way to succeed is to get out of the boat. You will never see it happen if you remain in that place of comfort. You will never see the story change unless you stand up and step out. You will never see that family circumstance turned around unless you start to do something about it. It is not good enough to just hope that it will change. Church, you and I have been called to action. We are not just hearers, we are called to be doers of the Word of God. Can I remind you tonight that Jesus is the answer. The victory is His, which means the victory is yours. Come on, would you?